We are in a series on Lent, and so when, uh, when Kendall asked me to share uh, during the, the Lent series, I thought it would be fun to uh, just take, take a Sunday and take a little bit of a journey into just kind of what is Lent exactly and kind of delve into that a little bit. Um, I don't know if this resonates with you, but um, in my experience with uh, church life and the rhythms of church, growing up Protestant, Lent had very little to do with me. <laughs> it was sort of that thing that the Catholics did or kind of did, and I, I didn't really know what it was about. And quite frankly, I didn't really know a lot about it even up until prepping for this message. And so uh, my hope this morning is that as we, uh, as we dig into this, we would all learn a little bit more about some of the history and the details of Lent. But more than that, my hope and prayer is that we would come away with a real understanding of why. Where we really seek to answer the question of why we would even consider engaging in this type of season and, and kind of going through the motions of what that would look like. So that's my hope for this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen, so not a, not a problem. Philippians chapter 3, let's read and then we will pray together. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for this time. And God, I thank you for everything that you're already doing here this morning. We, we thank you and we honor you for the testimonies of your grace and your kindness towards us over the past number of weeks and days. God, we celebrate the testimonies, Lord, because your word says that the spirit of prophecy is that of testimony. And so, Father, we thank you that as we have heard testimonies that we can believe and have hope and faith that these same kind of breakthroughs are going to happen in our lives too. And so we receive that, Lord, and we thank you for it. And God, as we take time now to open your word and dig into uh, what you want to say, God, we ask that our hearts would be open, our lives would be yielded to you, and I ask for grace and mercy upon me as well to share with confidence and with clarity and that your word uh, would go forward in power, and it would make sense, and that we would all be edified in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In the passage immediately preceding this, Paul is talking about his previous life as a rabbi, and he's talking about how he essentially had everything going for him. 
He came from the right family. He came from the right theological tribe. He came from, he had the right, you know, he, he just had all of his life sort of put together. He talks about how he had the right devotion to God. He was even willing to persecute and kill other people in the name of God. That's how you know religion is at its worst. <laughs> when you're willing to harm others in the name of God for the sake of your zeal, you know something has gone wrong. But Paul was willing to do that. He had, he had sort of all his ducks in a row, and he had his whole life in everything figured out. He was the Jew of Jews, a tribe of Benjamin, and all these things he talks about, until he meets Jesus. And once that happens, everything changes. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever, whatever standing I had in that community, whatever authority and power I had being where I was, whatever I had gained, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He looks at his whole life, his power, his authority, his influence, his entire life was built upon this idea. And then he meets Jesus and he goes, everything in the past is worthless compared to knowing Christ. Everything I've accomplished, everything I've worked towards, everything I had is as rubbish, he says. It's like the garbage underneath your sink. That's what he actually compares it to. All of it is worthless compared to knowing Christ. And when I read Paul and I see what he's talking about and I, I take an honest reflection of my own life and my own faith and my own relationship with God and I have to be honest and I go... Man, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> like the way Paul knows Christ, if I'm just being honest, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm, wow. Like he had this entire life built and he meets Jesus and he just, everything is worthless compared to knowing Christ. And I look at my own life and I go, I know God, and I have a relationship with God, and I love God, and I could never imagine not serving Christ, but I go, man, I don't know if I'm there yet. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's a depth of intimacy and experience that Paul has with God where I go, I'm not there yet. And you can either look at that and be discouraged, or you can follow along in the preceding verses and be encouraged, because I actually take a great deal of encouragement from what Paul is saying here, because he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to even be willing to enter into his suffering. That's how much he wants to know God. But then he sellows it up with this. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Did you hear that? He has experienced a depth of relationship with God, and yet even he himself looks at it and goes, yeah, I'm not fully there yet. I, I, like, I have, he's gone to depths of intimacy with God that I haven't yet, but even he looks at his life and goes, yeah, I'm not there yet. There's still a journey to go on. I haven't fully made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Now, I look at that and I go, I am greatly encouraged because there is never going to be an end of how deep you can go with God. There is never going to be an end to it. There's never going to get to a point in your life, both now or in eternity, where you come to a place and you're like, well, I guess that's that. <laughs> I've seen it all. I've been everywhere. I've done everything. I've, I've come, I've exhausted infinity. <laughs> right. I've exhausted it. I've se- like, you will never get there. <laughs> right. It's a continual journey that is going to be for all of our lives unto eternity. There's always more of God to experience, more to grow in, more to uh, just, there's, there's always deeper depths to go with God. Always. That's never not going to be true. And if we are going to be a community that is burning ones, if we are going to be a community that shines brightly the love of Jesus to the, to the region around to us, I believe that it's direct, our willingness to sacrifice, our willingness to get out of our comfort zones a bit and enter into discomfort for the sake of serving and loving and laying down our lives for other people, I believe that that is directly linked to our encounters with God. I believe that that is directly linked to the depth of experience, to the depth of intimacy, the depth of I know Christ and I'm willing to, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to give up a little bit in order to gain more of Christ and see his honor be in this place. Does that make sense? And so this cry that says, I want to know Christ more, this cry of our hearts that says, I actually want to go deeper with God, that is actually the cry of Lent. That is actually what this season in preparation of Easter is all about. If we keep our eyes fixed and focused on that, the idea of there are greater depths of intimacy to go with God, and I want to go there, that is the heart of Lent. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to ask four questions about Lent, and, uh, and then we'll just kind of take it from there. The four questions are simply, what is Lent? Like, what is this thing? <laughs> when did Lent begin? What are its origins? How, what do you do for Lent? What, what are you supposed to do? What, how is this supposed to play itself out practically? And then fourth, why should we do this? Why should we actually engage in this? So what is it? When did it begin? What do you do for Lent? And why should we do this? So let's start with what is Lent? What is this thing anyway? Lent is a 40-day spiritual pilgrimage in preparation of Easter Sunday. In Lent, we join Jesus in his journey towards the cross through a willing sacrifice of temporal comfort, i.e. some type of fast, in order to more fully give our attention to God, meaning dedication and prayer and giving to the poor. In the Lenten season, we intentionally allow God's Spirit to point out areas of sin and compromise in our lives, and by His strength, turn away from them in order to enjoy a deeper fellowship with Christ. Lent is all about going deeper with God, in a nutshell. (laughs) It's an intentional period of time, a, a consecrated time in which we say in our hearts, I want to go deeper with God, and I'm going to allow his spirit 
to show me areas in my life where maybe there is sin, there is compromise, there are things, there are things that are holding me back. And I am willing to join Jesus on his journey towards the cross and journey into that place of dying to my sin and my selfishness in order that I might more and more rise with him in, in resurrection life. Does this make sense? The journey of discipleship is entering into the story of Jesus and learning to live in the rhythms and life of Jesus, actually living it out. And that's what Lent is all about. So secondly, I hope that is an accurate summary. When did Lent begin? As early as the first century, church leaders adopted a practice of directing those who would be baptized to fast for at least two days before baptism, which consistently took place on Easter Sunday. So the earliest, um, the earliest forms or history that we have of a fast was beginning right off the bat in the early church when the baptism candidate... There was almost about a year preparation before you were baptized in the early church. And in that period of time, before, before Sunday, before Easter Sunday, which was typically when they would baptize people, it was, sort of became a tradition, they would encourage people to fast for at least two days. But one of the earliest documents actually said, we encourage the candidate to, to fast for two days and whoever is willing, which would imply the rest of the community around the people. Encourage the people as well to fast and pray for those who are being baptized. And what happened over time is that the fast just kind of kept extending. <laughs> it kept going out. It then started to go to a week and to a few, few weeks after that to the point where this, the community around the baptism candidate was encouraged to join them. Over the next two centuries, the fast would increase to 40 days. And by the time of the Nicene Creed in 325 AD, almost all the churches had adopted this practice in preparation for Easter. The Nicene Creed took place in the, the city of Nicene in 325. And when they were gathering together, basically this idea of a fast in preparation of baptism before Easter, it had it had, to use our language, it had essentially become viral. <laughs> no one was telling people, like, this is what you have to do. It was sort of just became the thing to do. <laughs> it basically, over two centuries, just became this adopted practice. There was never a document that said, this is what you have to do. It just sort of grew organically. And by the time the Nicene Creed was formed, almost all of the churches were practicing some type of fast before Easter. And so over time, it sort of just became a tradition in the church. So I hope that helps just a little bit of the history behind that. Third question is, what do you do for Lent? What are you supposed to do in Lent? Anyway, traditional Lenten practices have focused on three disciplines of devotion Jesus speaks on in the Sermon of the Mount, fasting, prayer, and giving to the poor. Now, you can look up those verses if you like. I only included a little bit of them because I wanted to draw your attention to something interesting that Jesus says. When he talks about fasting, prayer, and giving to the poor, he says, and when you fast, and when you pray, <laughs> and when you give to the poor, notice he doesn't imply, you might do this. <laughs> Here are some suggestions. He says, no, when you do this, this is what you do. 
There's an implication in our following of Jesus that these types of practices are just going to be normal. They're just going to be normative. Jesus assumes that about his followers. He assumes that fasting, prayer, and giving to the poor as an act of devotion, a spiritual discipline, as it were, is just going to be normal. It's not going to be something for the super elite Christians. It's going to be for the everyday normal Christians. And what's interesting, I was rereading Matthew 6, and it says in Matthew 6, 1, he says, when you practice your righteousness, and when I was preparing for this message, you know, it's funny how you, you can read the scriptures again and again, and, and then things still jump out to you, even after you've been reading them for, like, years. When Jesus says, and when you practice your righteousness, and that phrase just hit me, like, oh, when you practice your righteousness. Righteousness takes practice. <laughs> right ways of living take practice. Right ways of relating to God and others and yourself take practice. It actually does. The, the spiritual life is no exception. If you want to get good at something like playing an instrument or you know, learning a new language, you have to practice it, right? It's no different in the spiritual life. There are things that just take practice. And what is interesting is that Jesus says, when you practice your righteousness, when you practice these right ways of living, these right ways of relating to other people and to God and to yourself, he says, beware of doing these things so that you would gain attention for yourself. He's like, watch out for that. But he doesn't imply, oh yeah, you'll never do these things. So don't, you know, there, there could be a temptation if you do these things that you would draw attention to yourself. So, so maybe don't do them. <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, when you practice your righteousness, be aware that there could be a temptation to do them in such a way that you draw a bunch of attention to yourself. He says, no, don't, don't do that. This is the way in which you need to do them. Why I bring this up is because Lent is about a consecrated time to practice. Does this make sense? The, the Hebrew understanding is that the first thing God called holy was time. God, God's first thing he called holy was time. Time is what's holy. What happens, though, is that over time, we come to call things and places holy, and we end up fighting wars about them. Right? Oh, that's the holy land, and it's ours. And we end up fighting over it. When really, God's understanding is, no, it's not place or things that are holy, it's time. Time is what's holy. And when you can understand that time is what's holy. Time is what we set apart. When we enter, Lent becomes a season where I consecrate my time. I, I decide to start, have a start point and an end point to say, this time is dedicated to this end. Does this make sense? We do this in dieting, <laughs> we do this in exercise plans, we do this in all different sorts of things. We dedicate time for a specific end. Lent is no different. Lent is the idea that we set apart a particular 
time period in order to practice our righteousness, in order to practice the idea of dying to sin and raising to new life in Jesus. That's what Lent is for. So there are two typical fasts in Lent. One is a total fast, so perhaps you would dedicate a day or a certain length of time to stop eating food. Um, that, that's one form. There's another form, which is more of what's called an ascetic fast, where you give up a particular pleasure or comfort in order to more dedicate yourself to, to the Lord in prayer and fasting, those types of things. So a good example would be like, okay, an example of an ascetic fast. You go to Starbucks every day. I'm not saying you do. I'm saying if you do. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what you all do, but I'm saying you go to Starbucks every day. You're gonna pay anywhere from three fifty to five fifty for a coffee, and you do that every day, and that's like you know six times. So you're looking at thirty to forty bucks a week on coffee, just ballpark. The idea is like, hmm, what if I gave that up? for a particular length of time and took that 30 or 40 bucks and donated it to the poor. That's the idea of the ascetic fast. You take a particular comfort, a particular pleasure, something that's it's nice. Like I, I like a latte as much as anybody else. But it's the idea you, you take something that you like, it feels good, it's nice, and you consecrate it to the Lord. You say, I'm going to, I'm going to give this up for a season in order to put my resources somewhere else. Does that make sense? So that's some of the Lenten traditions. Now, last question, and probably the most important. Why should we do this? Why, sh why should we do this? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As I have journeyed with God, I have discovered more and more that Jesus travels light. You ever gone to the airport and you got like your baggage with you and you got your carry-on and you got all your stuff and you go to put it on the scale or to stick it under the little thing that's like your bag cannot exceed this square and you're like trying to ram it in there because you're going on a long trip and there's just too much stuff in it and it's like, okay, I got to get rid of some stuff because this is too, because I got I to gotta go. G following Jesus is like that. He travels light. And there are always things in our lives that are heavy and that are weighing us down and that you can't take with you for the rest of the journey. He might let you take it around for a while, but eventually he's going to come to a point where it's like, yeah, you need to get rid of that. <laughs> this is going to slow us down. And we have, we have forward to go. You have to let that go. And it's like, well, I don't want to. And this, I like, I, I'm used to my bag, Right? I'm used to this. This is nice. He's like, no, you have to let that go. You have to die to that in order to come into a greater expression of life. And, we, and Lent, Lent is the idea that we consecrate a period of time to devote ourselves to that, to learning that, that righteous rhythm of living. Now, 
I know that for a lot of us too, a lot of us have grown up in a more Protestant or a more evangelical or charismatic expression of church. And the idea of Lent or the idea, it can come across religious. It can come across imposing, right? The idea that it's like, there's certain elements that over time it's like, oh, what? that's just that religious thing, right? Why would I do that? Like, why don't we just, just invite more of the Spirit into our lives? Why would I go through the rhythm? Why would I go through those rigors? That just seems, it seems religious and it seems binding and it seems controlling. Why would I do that? And I even included Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit because that's incredibly important. I want our lives to be fully yielded and surrendered to the Spirit, of course. But I want you to imagine this, this passage in Ephesians 5 where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The word picture in the Hebrew there is this idea of a sailboat. So I want you to imagine for a moment that your life is a sailboat. And I want you to imagine that it's this beautiful day out on the water. And you, you're, the boat is going out of the harbor and out onto the, out onto the water. And it's a beautiful, gorgeous day. And all of a sudden, you can sense the wind is picking up. And you go, oh man, we are going to go for a ride today. This is going to be awesome. But there's one problem. You don't know how to put the sail up. Could you imagine that? <laughs> Like, oh man, we got the sailboat, this is going to be awesome. Oh man, the wind's picking up, this is, good. This is going to be good. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, okay, I guess we're just going to keep the motor running and we'll go on a nice little, little jaunt here <laughs> with the motor. No, spiritual disciplines, consecrated seasons like Lent, are the equivalent of learning to put the sail up so you can catch the wind of the Spirit. Does this make sense? Lent and consecrated seasons and learning spiritual disciplines are not about hindering God's Spirit working in your life. They're not. They're about positioning yourself to catch the wind. They're about positioning your life in such a way that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you can most effectively harness that, harness that energy of God, harness that wind so that the most good can come in you and through you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want us to be a church that catches the wind. I want our lives to be positioned in such a way that when the Spirit blows upon us, we're not unaware and we're not ready, and we're not like, oh man, God's doing stuff, and I'm just like, oh shoot, I don't know how to put the sail up. Lent is a particular season where we practice our righteousness, like Jesus says. We practice the rhythms of rightly relating to God, relating to others, relating to ourselves, in order that when the Spirit blows, we're positioned to catch it. We're positioned to go. And so what I want us to do, and I'm just going to invite you, I, I want to actually invite you just to close your eyes. I'm going to read, um, this is the prayer, this is the Book of Common Prayer. On Ash Wednesday, which was on February 14th this year, that is the beginning of Lent. Lent takes place about six weeks before Easter Sunday, and it commences with Ash Wednesday, and then goes on till Easter Sunday. That is the Lent season. And what I want to do is I want to read 
the psalm, which is a, a prayer of confession and repentance to, to begin Lent. Can I be very honest and vulnerable? I, I missed the boat on the beginning of Lent this year. I, I did not have my act together. So I am, you are my witness, I'm starting today. And I am going to, I'm going to fast, my, I, I chose that my fast would be to fast from coffee, which in the Lenten season, you get to break the fast on Sunday, just a little FYI for you. So I got to have coffee today, I will be giving it up for the rest of the six days of the week, and then the idea behind the Lenten fast is that you, you celebrate on Sunday, you break the fast on Sunday, because Sunday is always Resurrection Sunday. You always celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So you fast from whatever that is, six days a week, you're allowed on Sundays to take that back up again. So tomorrow, I will not have coffee, and you can pray for me, um, but that's what's going to happen. So, <laughs> um, so, we, that, so I'm, starting my fa- I'm starting my Lent halfway through. Now that is no less holy, it's just the honest-to-God truth. If you're like, I didn't start Lent, well, you can start with me. So, <laughs> Or if you're like, you know, I just, I just encourage you to, to consider it. But I want to read a psalm over you, and I invite you just to prayerfully receive it. I invite you to internalize it for yourself and to pray it to God in your hearts. Psalm 51. You can... In, you can get into whatever posture that you need to. I, I always like to kind of close my eyes, open my hands, open myself to the Lord. But I invite you to uh, just to receive and to turn, to turn our hearts towards God. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. In your great compassion, blot out my offenses. Wash me through and through from my wickedness. And cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your holy presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your saving help again, and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. Had you desired it, I would have offered sacrifice, but you take no delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise.